So welcome to the Meaningful Jobs podcast season three. I'm your host, Adrian, and today we're extremely honored to have Alicia Butler-Peer, who is here as the founder of Equilibria, to talk a little bit about her career, uh, her business, and the meaning of work and life. So how are you, Alicia? hope you're well. I am doing extremely well, Adrian. Thank you for having me on your extremely show. Extremely well. Must be um, having a great time lately. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm working like crazy, but... I'm saying I'm doing extremely well because I know what the opposite of that could be. So I'm which I'm is just, no work, basically. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm Strange thing is that you know there seems to be a recession, um, but the media isn't saying this, it's and people not. seem to be losing their jobs as well. And then the official job numbers don't seem, you know, like the case. So I'm just a bit struggling about you know <laughs> what the economy is actually. Exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, at least as you alluded to, you know, having work is better than no work. And, you know, on this note, I thought it would be great for us to you know, dive into your career. So, you know, before um, founding your own company, can you tell us, um, you know, what kind of career path you took and what were the decisions? I'm oh, sorry. What, what were the factors that affected your uh, decision? Well, Adrian, my career path certainly has not been, it has been unconventional and it mm. has not been a linear path to, to me founding a company. But my, my career actually began as a chemical engineer, believe it or not. And whenever I tell people that they, they're usually looking at me like, you know, how did you go from being a chemical engineer to, to the work that I'm doing now? But honestly, Adrian, I see the connection and I'll explain what that connection is. Chemical engineers, many of us, when we start working, we work as what's known as process engineers or process engineers. What that means is, let's say for example, if we are in an oil refinery or a chemical plant or a pharmaceutical plant, Whenever you are in a manu manufacturing environment, you are producing something. You are producing something that's tangible. As a process engineer, there are certain specifications that that product must meet in terms of quality before it can be packaged and ultimately sold to a customer. If a particular batch of a product is tested and it does not meet the specification, then my job as the process engineer was to figure out what went wrong, Adrian, and the process of manufacturing that product to cause it to not meet the specification. So it's it. we also design, we, we do things at scale. So whenever people ask me, well, what's the difference between a chemist and a chemical engineer? So the way I like to describe it is, imagine a chemist is you know, concocting something in a laboratory setting, you know, a very small scale. But a chemical engineer is going to take what that chemist has said, aha, I figured out the formula for making this. And we literally will take that formula and design the equipment to make sure that instead of making, let's say, a very small batch of something in a laboratory setting, we're making sure that a, a significant amount can be produced in a short time period um, at scale. So, that, so that's, I guess, the most basic way that I can describe what the difference is. Sorry, so do you work with a lot of uh, testing companies, you know, because you, you know, after making that product, obviously you need some, you know, third party independent contractor or company to test your products. 
Well, actually, you work a lot with, in, in my experience, the the plants and the oil refineries that I worked in, where third party entities come into play is government type agencies, the environmental agencies. They're trying to make sure that no damage or harm is being caused to the environment by illegal dumping of certain byproducts that might be produced. While you're trying to make this one thing here, you're also sometimes making something else that could be really harmful how are you properly disposing of that harmful product? Those are the kinds of things, but we wouldn't have independent people come in and, and test product. Um, it is to our advantage to, it is it behooves us to make sure that we are producing something that meets the specifications because ultimately we don't want to pass off bad products to our end customers. Of course, they will. Of course. They will let us know, <laughs> right? If something- Through um, perhaps even um, ways that you can't imagine. <laughs> Exactly. And we, we both know bad news travels much faster than, than good news. So so in that, again, in my experience, we did not have third party uh, people come and, and perform any type of testing. So, um, you know, can, can you tell us how you got into, you know, chemical processing? Because I think, you know, you're one of the first guests on our show who's come from this background. I had a love for chemistry. And by the time I went to university, I, I was kind of encouraged to go into that career or to, to study that. I wanted to become a chemist. My very first passion, actually, Adrian, was, was in writing. I, I, my first love in terms of a career choice was actually journalism. That's quite different, you know. You know, I you know. don't normally associate journalism Using, and chemistry. Right. Yeah. Using two completely different sides of the brain. But when I when I started taking chemistry classes when I was in high school, I'm I'm from uh, I'm from the states, so I I grew up in the state of Louisiana, and my teacher took a particular interest in my development as a as a young adult, and when I was starting to figure out where I wanted to go for university, she would ask me, well, what what are you going to pursue? What type of degree are you are you going to pursue? And I would tell her chemistry, you know, I really like it. And she said, well, you know, have you thought about the fact that in order to make really good money as a chemist, you would probably have to go all the way up to the PhD level. I know you and I were talking about. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about PhD. To, yeah, um, what it takes to actually get a PhD. Yeah. Um, and she that said, was before so, our interview, by the way, just for listeners to know. I tried and, you know, failed, you know. <laughs> and and she said, have you thought about chemical, or she asked, have you thought about chemical engineering? Well, I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was. I had never met a chemical engineer before, but she started to, she planted that seed. So I totally give her credit for that. And sure enough, when I was accepted into university, that is what I studied. And I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into until I actually graduated and started working at my very first professional job. Would you say that's a bit late to find out? It's it's very late to find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's extremely late. I did have an internship, but it wasn't the same. There were certain things that the classroom, you just won't learn in the classroom. 
you have to and i guess sometimes you know being an intern you just get ignored sometimes because everybody's so busy with what they're doing that is absolutely the case that is absolutely what happened with me they were okay busy. um i didn't expect this but um yeah, no, i guess that, that wasn't exactly... a good that wasn't a good entry to chemistry it, processing i don't think it it wasn't because well and and in fairness every company what whatever it is they're making can be vastly different right and so that therefore the experience can be can be very different but the, the company where i did an internship was much smaller than the company i ended up working for once i graduated the company where i worked once i graduated is this massive global entity so the dynamics were just completely different from being in that much smaller much more controlled environment that I worked in as an intern. So, you know, perhaps the intern didn't go as well as you wanted, but you still, you know, pursued this career. And I guess you must be loving it, you know, and to, con to continue to be in this industry for such a long time. Well, I, I'll say this. I'm the type of person, and this is probably a bad thing, but... I, I'm the type of person where when I start something, I want to see it through to completion. I want to finish. It could be good and bad, I guess. It, Depends it, on how you yeah. see it. So at that point, when I realized, I don't know if I really want to do this, Adrian, I was so far along in my studies that to change at that point would have been a pretty big deal. It would have meant a couple of more years of study. And I was ready to get out. I was ready to make money and that's what I did. And I ended up working as an engineer for about seven to eight years after I graduated. And during that time, I realized that I was completely ignorant about business, commerce. And I decided to pursue a, an MBA, a master's in business administration. I would work full-time during the day and go to school oh. at night. I thought you were tired of studying. Well, so I recognized the deficit in my education. Again, I didn't I didn't learn anything about business. I knew very little. I didn't know key accounting terms. I didn't understand the impact that the economy has on our would have on our day-to-day -day production schedules just as an example i did not understand the interconnectivity of business and how it directly affected what i was doing as an engineer i guess the the curious thing that i want to ask is that you know a lot of people they work their whole lives they don't really care about business um principles accounting principles um but you know you had this idea that you you didn't just want to do your job well but you also wanted to get to know the business side of things so what made you become interested in business it never i'm the type of person it never feels good when you're in a room and you don't understand what's being discussed so that's Very truly true. how it that's truly how it started adrian i remember there were accountants that were assigned to different parts of the plant the chemical plant where i worked again when i this was my first job out of college out of university and it was as though she was speaking this one particular accountant it was as though she was speaking another language 
And she was, she was speaking accounting, which is the language of business. So talking about things like debt to equity ratio and liabilities and assets and equity and balance sheets and all that kind of stuff. These are the I, most basic terms, oh, by the way. They're you know. basic, but but you have to understand, I was yeah. I had an engineering curriculum. I didn't learn those. What I learned was very light, okay? And, mm. I, and not just it, engineering, it was chemical engineering. So it was very heavy on the science side. Now, if you asked me something about organic chemistry, analytical chemistry, I could I could answer it all day, all day, every day. And the accountant would think you're talking about a different language, you know? Exactly. But, but the reason it was important to me was because one, I didn't understand what was being discussed, but two, I knew enough that whatever she was talking about, again, had a direct impact on my work as an engineer because- it impacted our day-to-day production schedules. So if there's, if demand is high, if they're telling me that market demand is high today, that means we're operating at full capacity. But if they say, well, you know, we're looking at the market and it's starting to take a dip. So you know what, instead of running full throttle, we're going to scale back production today by 50%. So again, things seem to be erratic oftentimes because I was missing that link to the business side of things. And, and I was always encouraged in my, my performance evaluations to go, to steer away from the technical path and more toward the managerial path. And in order to go down that managerial path, I had to learn more about business. So obviously you loved business, otherwise you wouldn't have Absolutely. started a company and stayed there for 18 years. So, um, did you start your company after you finished your MBA or what's you know the time point of doing that? Actually, I, that is what ended up happening, but that was not my intent. When I finished my MBA, it was December of 2004. And I decided I, I quit my job. I was By that point, I was working at a family-owned engineering consulting firm, which was great because it was a small business. It was a family-owned business. So I I got to experience entrepreneurship up close and personal, but I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, which is in the Southeastern part of the United States. And I really thought Adrian, that I was going to get a job at Coca-Cola <laughs> because <laughs> That's they're, headquartered, specific. they're headquartered here. Okay. Okay. So Coca-Cola air, uh, Coca-Cola airline. The Coca-Cola company is actually headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. So for your listeners, the next time you're drinking a beverage that you know is owned by Coca-Cola, look on the back, look on the label, (laughs) and you'll see Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Uh, But that's what I thought because I, I was a newly minted MBA. I had this technical background as well. So I thought who wouldn't want to pick me up as an employee, right? That was, that was how, um, crass I was (laughs) and after about two months of what seemed to be soulless job searching I decided instead of spending all of this time effort and energy looking for a job a J-O-B working (laughs) for someone else why not redirect that same time effort and energy into creating an opportunity for myself one where I could bring together all of these skills that I had up to that point and build a business around that. 
And that was how my company started. It, it, it wasn't that I intentionally decided to do it. It was literally because I couldn't find a job. But, you know, obviously, you know, starting a business, um, aside from the skill sets that you've got, I guess one of the most important things is, you know, having a network. So was that a strong factor in giving you the confidence to just jump into the business world? I I did not have a strong network when I started. Wow. I have one now. But I that must be quite risk. a big risk, you know, because... It, oh, it was it, a huge risk. Yeah, because you don't know where your money's coming from if you've got Adrian, no accounts. No, no one, people thought I had gone mad because... <laughs> When you think about it, it's it's a it's a very it's it is an extremely risky move. The thing that I did, it was revolutionary, in the sense that I was bucking the system. Yeah. I was, I was saying I don't want that anymore. I was unhappy. I want to do something else. And if I can't get a job, I'm going to create this. I'm going to create something myself. It's either now or never. You're right. The, the the you know there was so much risk involved. There's instability in income. You know, paying for medical care and things like that. Those were all very legitimate concerns. But I just I believed enough in myself, and that's what kept me going. And I'll be honest with you, I think the fact that I relocated to a new city was one of the best decisions I could have made because I think had I stayed home where I grew up, I would have had so many distractions. I would have had so many people telling me why it wasn't going to work. Mm. But think about it when you, and you know, you've, you've relocated, right? You've, yeah. you've been in multiple countries. When you make a bold decision to invest in yourself and you believe enough in yourself that you will make it come hell or high water and you take that bold move to try something different, to live in a completely new place where you really don't know anyone, that is that is a revolutionary act. What I did to start building my network, Adrian, I remember going to an office supply store and buying the, that it was an Avery pack of uh, business cards that you could put into a, a desk jet printer. Yeah. And I just went into Microsoft Word. I created some business cards. I came up with the company name and printed those cards. And I just started going online and researching different networking events. And I would meet people. And I bartered a lot when I first started. Because I know I needed, I didn't know anyone. I needed to get my foot in the door somehow, some way. So the agreement was, if you, and, and my company, by the way, started off as an organizing company. So I was literally going into people's homes and making their spaces look more tight. Oh, so it wasn't a chemical uh, thing? No, 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 no. Oh, it's completely, I, I, oh, I thought it's I related. No, no, wow. no, I completely left chemical. That's even riskier than I thought. You know, moving to a new country, <laughs> having a new business in a different industry with no contacts, you know, yeah. can't get any crazier than that, I think. Hmm. I never thought about it that way, Adrian. <laughs> sure. was, it, was it an accurate summary? That is a very accurate summary. I guess I just never thought about it in that way. Like, yeah, you know, I, 
I guess it makes sense now why so many of my family and friends thought I was I was Cause, cause very for, concerned. For me, maybe I'm not as uh, risk taking as you, even though I do take calculated risks in my life. You know, if I don't, if I can't predict the number of um, accounts or um, clients that I might have starting out, I don't think I'd be making a jump like you. So, you know, I think I really admire, you know, the strength that you have and just putting the energy into networking when you don't even have, you know, a, a business, you know, at that point. And I didn't even own a business suit because remember, I came from working in chemical plants. So I had an oil refinery. So I had tons of blue jeans and, you know, uh, polo style shirts, you know, but that's I, all you I, got for the, for the networking was, events. That was all I had. <laughs> so I would go to consignment stores and, and purchase, you know, secondhand uh, business suits. And that was eventually how I started getting out again, doing a great deal of bartering. And over time I stopped the bartering and started actually charging money. Yeah. And, and, over the wise time, decision <laughs> over yeah. time adrian it my my company has evolved from providing professional organizing services to providing business infrastructure to fast growing small businesses and that's my story and i'm sticking to it wow um I'm a bit lost of words because, you know, that's a really dramatic change. I think, you know, even with all the entrepreneurs on this show that I have, I don't think I've heard as dramatic a story as you've got, you know. So, you know, can can you tell us what's this, if, if you've got a secret sauce behind how you managed to keep this company afloat for 18 years and having it, you know, thrive and maybe the the meaning of work? What do you think about it? Oh, these are all great questions. So let me make sure I write them down because I want to cover all of them. So, okay. The secret sauce. The secret sauce, number one, is listening and paying attention. So remember how earlier I I mentioned the fact that, you know, paying attention to market demands, fluctuations in the market. That's a part of, let's say, external listening. Really paying attention to not only what's going on in the industry in which you are working, but also what's going on within your with the clients that you're working with so internally what are they saying are you really paying attention to their feedback sometimes mm-hmm. we ask for feedback very formally and we may not get it in the terms of in the in the in terms of things like surveys and things like that but your clients are constantly talking are yeah. you listening to what they're saying are you paying attention are you observing what they're doing, how they interact with you, how they interact with your products or the services that you're providing. So that's one key element of the secret sauce because a lot of times we have ideas about what we think potential customers would want, but at the end of the day, your customers will always tell you, no, Adrian, I know you think I want this to be red, but I really want it to be blue. Very true. What happens is, our as entrepreneurs and founders, our egos can get in the way. And we're like, no, I did all of my research. I went on chat GPT and chat <laughs> GPT told me that this should be, I should offer red, but your customer is saying, no, 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 Adrian, I'm right here in front of you. I'm telling you, I don't want red. I want blue. 
So, so listening is a key part of it. The other thing is, I don't know if, if, if that's, if this is an expression or something similar in Hong Kong or, or even in the UK, but we have an expression here in, in the U S about reading, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So mm, reading, not heard of it. Okay. So we always say the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. It, it's really arithmetic, but arithmetic. So, so bear with me for a minute here. Reading, read voraciously. Don't just read about things that pertain to your industry. Have Don't just have depth, have breadth in the types of information that you're consuming. Whether you are reading a book listening to a podcast like the meaningful jobs podcast thanks for the extra promotion so, so you're it's so you may not necessarily be reading something but you're still consuming content and you're educating yourself on a daily basis don't ever stop learning don't ever be so so um what's the word i'm looking for here but ba basically don't ever don't ever get to a point where you think you know everything because you don't not too satisfied i guess yes you you have to you have to have a, an insatiable appetite for learning so continuous education so that's the reading of the 3 r's writing write something every day this is a way to hone your craft whatever it is whether you're in fashion food entertainment chem the chemicals industry petrochemicals podcasting, media, whatever it is, get in the practice of writing about what you do daily. How do you do that? You can blog, you can produce content like a podcast. That's still a form of writing, even though, you know, because there, there's, I'm, I know Adrian, there are things you did to prepare for this mm -hmm. interview. Now you may have typed it, but, but it's still, again, it's a form of content, things that you are, thoughts that you have formulated in your head and whether you write it on physical paper, you type it out somewhere, the point is you're you're actually formulating these ideas on a daily basis. Get in the practice. And it could also mean not just blogging or podcasting, writing a book. But if you're talking about doing it on a daily basis, leveraging social media, posting something on LinkedIn, posting something on Facebook, TikTok, uh, Instagram, there's so many yeah. of them out there. But that's what I mean by writing something every day. And then finally, the, the last are arithmetic. This is all about measuring math, right? What are the metrics? What are the things that you can measure every day that let you know whether or not you are hitting certain targets that you want to meet? So, mm. uh, you know, I'll just throw this out as an example, a personal example for many people out there in the world is, is weight. They want to maintain a certain weight. Well, what is your target? And many of us, we might get on a scale every every morning or every night. That's what we have to do with our businesses or our jobs. If you know that you want to advance to a certain position at your job, or if you know you want to hit a certain revenue target, the, the, the idea is get into the practice of measuring the things that matter that are going to help you get to your target. Wow, a lot of secret sauces, you know. That's the secret sauce. And uh, you 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 did ask one the meaning more, of work. Yeah. The meaning of work. Yeah. In my book, I wrote about this actually. That's why I love this question. 
vocation, the word vocation is a, derives from vocare, which is a Latin word, which means your calling. So oftentimes our job is not necessarily our vocation. Your job is what you do. Hmm. It's the work. What is your actual calling? And when I, when I really started to study the etymology of the word vocation, I thought, wow, this is why I personally was not satisfied. I did not have personal satisfaction working as an engineer in this massive company. I didn't, I didn't find meaningful work in what I was doing. I'm just being honest. But the work that I'm doing now, I truly feel, Adrian, is my calling. When I can formulate an idea and I'm talking to another small business owner, another entrepreneur, another founder, and I'm seeing that person's passion, and I know they want to scale their respective businesses to the next level, and I help them formulate these ideas for how they can do that, how they can put a business infrastructure in place, and then they actually implement it, and to see it, yeah. Oh gosh. I, I can't, can't imagine the joy. That you've is got. that is that is where I find meaning. And and it I, I cannot even there are no words I think to properly describe that feeling. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Alicia, um, learning about your career path, how you got into business, and you know, seeing the fulfillment that you've got. I think, you know, it's great for our listeners to, you know, really ponder about um, whether they should work for someone or start their own business and what's their calling in life. So thanks so much for your interview. And, um, you know, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Adrian.